In the first reading, we hear that Jerusalem is assured that nations will make a pilgrimage to her because the light of God's presence is in her midst. The bountiful food of the sea and the profits of international trade will come streaming to Jerusalem and thereby declare God's praise. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall be gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The psalm for Epiphany Sunday is verses from Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. In the second reading, we hear that what had been hidden from previous generations is now made known through the gospel ministry of Paul and others. In Christ, both Jews and Gentiles participate in the richness of God's promised salvation. The second reading is from the third chapter of Ephesians. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable richness of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of our Lord. The soccer slide. It's got to be fun, right? I mean, we're going to start a new year. We're allowed to have fun in church. We just really are. God has made fun. He's made enjoyment in life. He even inspired our minds to make commercials like that. So a time to have fun, particularly beginning of the year. What a celebration that was. Just epic slide. Just love it. So when I watch 90 Minutes of Soccer game, I haven't always been a follower of soccer. It's come recently, and actually it's kind of started probably because one of my sons likes soccer because he had friends who liked soccer. And so because of that, we started watching World Cups. I watched the first World Cups in these last batches. And what's kind of crazy is that you watch, it's a long game. It's 90 minutes. With, with it. And these guys are working hard. They are sprinting back and forth and running and sliding and colliding into each other. Just these epic efforts for 90 minutes. And sometimes there's not even one goal scored until the very last minute and maybe even in the bonus time. As a person who had been following football and some of the hockey or whatever other sports, motocross, boy, that's action. There's stuff happening all the time. Soccer, I mean, it's action. It's just like, when's the goal ever going to be scored? Who's going to win the game? In that commercial, if you notice the time next time you need to watch it, look at the, look at the time on it. It was 93 minutes into it. It, wasn't, it was three minutes past the time because every time there's like injuries and they, they just stack extra time to the end it. At the 93rd minute, they score the goal, right? So soccer, waiting for a goal, watching 
for that goal all 90 minutes. There's no instant gratification. I'm used to that as an American. Think about it. I think you are too. If you want something food to eat, you don't have to wait six months to watch, wait for the land to get right, to plant the seeds, to put your harvest out. You want something to eat, you just go to the store and buy it. You want something to drink? If you don't have it in your house, you go to the store to buy it. You don't have to walk to the store and walk five, ten miles to get your supplies. And you get in your car, you're driving 40 miles an hour. You're there. You don't have to wait for something to trade and find someone to negotiate a trade. You just give them a common currency. Our world's fast. We don't have to wait for anything. We want our healing now. We want our, our food now. We want our treats now. We want our services now. It's now. It's fast. Look at the commercials. It's almost always like one second and two second bits of information because that's it. They're processing stuff for so fast. We don't ever get a chance to slow down. I was just thinking about when I came into here today. I know we have a lot of material to talk about. I know last service we went about 10 minutes over because of some stuff. And I was trying to go super, super fast to get it all packed in there. And my wife's going here, slow down. She's giving me hand signals out here, trying to help me out. Slow down. I'm revved up. Well, that's part of the disease. We're just too fast. So to think about something you have to wait for, it's just not us. It's not our culture. So what we're going to try to do today, actually at this point I'm going to try to rev it down. We're trying to remember and consider today is that God has provided epiphanies, revealings of himself and his plan over a long period of time. And those little epiphanies, they inspire us, they direct us, and they're to develop hope until we reach the climax epiphany, which is Jesus. There's a statement in the old days, all roads led to Rome. All roads led to Rome. Today, as we go through this Bible lesson, I hope that we're going to see that all epiphanies, all the biblical epiphanies, they're pointing to Jesus. And from Jesus to heaven, and from heaven to the Father who sits on the throne of heaven, were all things he wants to bring home. So thinking about epiphany and epiphanies, let's start with Bethlehem. In the Bible lesson, Bethlehem is one of the premier uh, locations. The epiphanies are, why Bethlehem? Where's the epiphany in Bethlehem? Well, Bethlehem is five miles south of Jerusalem. And that little town is special in that 1,035. So David was born around 1035, 1,035 years before Jesus he died around 970, if I remember right. So 1035 to 970, that's the time of, of David. And in that time, there was a prophet called Samuel. He was the one who was working on behalf of God, anointing the kings. Samuel was told by an epiphany, a revelation of God himself. He said to Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem, that little town. And I want you there. I want you to find a dad. I think his name was Jesse. And in that town, Jesse has a son. And I want you to find a son. And I want you to anoint his son. He's, that son is going to be the king that I have chosen. Now, Samuel didn't want to go. Because it was dangerous for him to go. There was already a king in power. That king was kind of ruthless. That king didn't want another king to rise up and take his king's spot. If he knew that the prophet was going over there, he might try to take the head of the prophet. He might remove him from their whole profiting world. He might capture him, exile him, imprison him. Something bad could happen. Samuel was hesitant of going. God says, I got to take care of this. Make an offering, it will be a disguise. Fair enough. So they came up with their plan. 
But either way, there was an epiphany. God gave an epiphany to Samuel, and then Samuel was to take that and reveal it to the rest of the family. So the epiphany continues. He shows up in Bethlehem. Jesse brings out his son. The first son's this big, tall, strong, good-looking, articulate man. Oh, wow, this is going to be a great king, God. And he walks over to anoint him. No, not this one. Really? Not this one. Fair enough. I need another son. Brings the next son. Another just well-built, good guy. No, not this one. Seven sons dad brings. Parades them one at a time before the prophet Samuel. And all seven times, none of them was to be chosen. Finally, he says, you have any other sons? He says, yeah, I got one. A little redheaded kid out there taking care of my sheep. He was Rudy. That's his color. So maybe not red. Maybe it was just bright colored cheeked and just a happy kid. But either way, the little runt, he's out there taking care of the sheep. The littlest one, the youngest one. We'll bring him here. And when he comes before him, he was a beautiful child. And God told Samuel, that's my king. That's the one I've chosen. And there was an epiphany. And Samuel takes the oil and he anoints his head and he says, you're the next king. A child in Bethlehem. Now, Second Samuel chapter 5, it says, it wasn't until David was 30 years old that he actually became king. So there was a time of waiting. So Jesus is born and he's baptized. He has to, he's waiting until his ministry began. David starts his ministry. This is some of the cool overlaps and the echoes of the Bible stories. I just love this stuff. David started his ministry about 30 years, about the same time that Jesus started his ministry, when he was about 30 years old. All the people rose up around David. They found him in the place of called Hebron, which is another 10 miles south of Bethlehem. So it goes Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron. They found him in that place. And all the people rose up and said, you're going to be, you are our king. Well, yeah, God already anointed them. They figured it out. But they, they, and they anointed him to be their king. And from that day on, he rolled as king of the land of all of Israel for seven years from Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. That totals a total of 40 years. David ruled as king for 40 years. Biblical numbers. Love this stuff. Love this stuff. All right, it's 33 years in Jerusalem. So there's some epiphanies surrounding Bethlehem that go back a thousand years setting up for Jesus in Bethlehem. Micah, 700 years beforehand, is the one that said, In Bethlehem of Judea will come the king. From there I'll rise up a shepherd for my people. Curious to use the word shepherd, because what was David? A shepherd. What is Jesus called? A good shepherd. Right? It's all connected. These epiphanies began thousand years before, 700 years before with Micah saying this. And you know what happens after Micah? It's a black line, straight line. There's no more prophecies coming from a prophet until Jesus' birth with John the Baptist foretelling that. But until that, there's 700 years of quiet. What would happen in your life if you had to wait 700 years for good news? Think about it. It's hard for us to wait five minutes. When we're asking for healing for somebody, we're impatient after even a week. I suffered from a cold virus. By the third day, I was beyond done. I had another five to go. I was, I was, I was a grump. I was not very pleasant. I'm just dealing with something small. These people are dealing with hardships and the consequences of sin for 700 years. 
They've been waiting for a Messiah for 700 years. They're under Roman occupation. They've had all these hardships. Their life is incredibly difficult, incredibly impoverished, and they're waiting for this hope. And they're still waiting. Their whole lives are waiting. That's the context for which this next epiphany comes. 700 years of waiting. All right, so then we have Herod mentioned. Herod's epiphanies are, are historic. First, Herod has been exposed to the Scriptures. Well, who gave the Scriptures? The prophets. Who gave the prophets the words? God. So God, through prophets, through the Scriptures, have touched Herod with epiphanies. He's also being touched by God in that the leaders and the teachers of the Jewish people are impacting him. In addition to that, just the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon him. He knows the king's coming. He knows it's swirling, and he anticipates it. That's why he actually asked for the, the census to be taken. One good reason for him to do that is because if he can get a census and everybody has to go to their hometown, when he finds out that all the right people are in the right space, he can police that space. And whenever the king comes back to Bethlehem, he can capture him, he can take his head, and he can remain king himself. It was a plot. It was a political plot. So anyway, Herod is participating in this epiphany of God. Mary and Joseph, they've been participated. Just like Herod, they had the prophets, they had the scriptures, and they had all the teachers, and they had the friends and family around them teaching about how God was unrevealing God's plan to bring his Messiah. <laughs> Mary and Joseph were hoping for that. And then the day comes, they never saw it coming. The angel of the Lord spoke to Mary, said the words to her. Angel spoke to Joseph, said the words to him. And now they're this blessed family that brings the good news. God's epiphanies for whatever it's worth, when we think about them today, they're not always a great source of comfort. And they're not always a blessing in the eyes of this world. We might get verbally and relationally hurt, even wrecked by people who are closest to us because God reveals something to us that they don't like. The holy couple were wrecked by the world. Their communities weren't happy with them. It was actually nice that they had to leave uh, Nazareth to go to Bethlehem because they escaped all the pressure and all the judgment and the ugliness of the, the people around them. And then they were trying to be wrecked by the world around them. It didn't matter to them because they stayed close to God. They stayed true to God. And all of our epiphanies as a church, regardless of what the world says or the other people say, if God's given us a reason and a purpose and a task before us, we will pursue that task and we will not pay attention to any troubles around us. We are to stay on that task because that's what God says to do. God's epiphany comes first. Samuel learned it. David learned it. The young family learned it. Church, we remember it. Regardless of requirements, the Holy Family's lives and examples for all of us is that you stay true to the Lord's epiphany. Next, we have the Magi. Behold, it says, behold. That's like, get your attention. If you're going to read this, and you're going to read this lesson again, when you get the behold, it's like, it's like exclamation marks, incredibly loud voice. Attention. These guys, these wise men from the East, pay attention to them. Or we will. They're not a part, historically, what they would see as God's people. They're from the East. They're not of us. They're not of the line of Abraham, right? Of Jacob and Isaac. They're not. They're way far away. In addition to that, they're not even of our kind of culture and our upbringing. They seek magic. They seek understanding of horoscopes and astrologies, and they're seeking things in the stars. They're not seeking God. They're looking for answers in all these strange places. However, God will use them. God's epiphany comes from surprising places. They were interested in dreams and astrology. Well, God put that to his pleasing work. 
because of their study, this is kind of for us to think about, because they had learned so much what they knew, because they had searched so hard, and because of their life work, they were being prepared for their epiphany moment. One, it brought them wealth. These guys were bringing gifts that few people in Israel would ever have. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's like millionaire stuff. So whatever they did using that world, they made a lot of money at it. And God's going to put that to work. Because of their understanding of stars and constellations, their exposure to things, cultures, and knowledges from around the world, they knew that that star over that land and that constellation all said that in Judah, there's going to be a king born. And he's going to be a king like no other because that star is like no other. That's why when they came, they just didn't... On, when they, the word that they used in this was worship. When the three wise men showed up, they said to Herod, we've come to worship. And when they showed up at the house, they worshiped. If you're going to go visit the president of the United States, you don't go there to worship, regardless of the president. Regardless of the president, the office of the president, you don't worship. You might show up and say, yeah, here's some tickets to some ball games. Um, here's a, you know, let's take you out to dinner. You might give them some gifts, but you don't worship. These guys, they came with gifts that were extravagant beyond extravagance. And they came to worship. There was something in that epiphany that says you're not just going to go see a king. You're going to go see a son of God, king. They knew that as they started their travels. Cool worlds that they use, if you pay attention to these details, they're just beautiful. All right, so they get to Jerusalem. Well, but before they get to Jerusalem, i got to get to this part. This is cool. All this stuff, all this wealth is preparing them, and they go. Have you ever thought about where they, where they were and where they ended up in the distance? That's about 800 miles. 800 miles. I've, I've ridden my bicycle 120, 130 miles, and my legs want to fall off. I've never tried to ride 800 miles. That's on a bike. How about walking? I've hiked 12, 13 miles through the mountains, and I was about done. These guys walked 800. They were walking 10 to 20 miles in a desert. They don't know what's before them. In those days, there was there were people who made a living by waiting for the city slickers to come out with all their money, and they're going to travel someplace, or we're going to pounce, take their money, and then we can relax. That's their job was to take from these guys. It was dangerous for them to travel. Going across the desert, they don't know where their next water supply is going to be. They don't even know if there's no roads. They're just kind of setting a course by stars at night and other stuff. This is an incredibly epic event for them to travel. We just go by it. 800 miles, nothing. I sit in my car, set cruise control, and I'm in Albuquerque. That's about 800 miles. It doesn't work that way for them. They walked. They labored. They sweat. They wondered why they were even doing this in the first place. All those things over three months as they walked across. That's just part of the trip. When a lot more can be said that. When they get to Jerusalem, they finally get to this place, and they get to where the king's at, they're given another epiphany. He's not, going to be, he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You've got to go to Bethlehem to find it. And now that there's been a sense of and they've all come back, there's a really good chance they will. And oh, by the way, there was a star. That epiphany led them to the house. One epiphany after another after another and they finally get there and the star lines up the lights just right something they know and when they go there god and jesus lit up their world when they saw jesus as an infant their eyes were touched their minds their hearts their ears the presence of the family something in that moment moved them 
It was the greatest gift they've ever received in their life, the greatest trophy they ever won. That 800-mile journey over, the 800 miles going back was worth it. They saw the Son of God. They presented the gifts. Got to touch on the importance of this. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift of gold, that's the symbol that you would give to a king. You give the king the gold. Frankincense. Frankincense was given to Jesus. Frankincense is what the priests use as they burnt their offerings and incense. So they gave to Jesus the gift of a priest. Myrrh. They didn't see this coming. They didn't even have to understand it, but it was God's epiphany. Myrrh. It was a burial gift. The gift of anointing the dead. They presented to Jesus as king, as priest, and as a sacrifice. Himself, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. They gave the gifts. They had no even clue how they were participating in our epiphany. On top of that, frankincense and myrrh had more value per pound than gold. They're incredibly expensive commodities. You have to scratch the bark of a tree, collect the sap, let it dry out over all that period of time. And that's just for one little drop. If you bring a basket of it, wow, right? So frankincense and myrrh and gold are gifts and they have value like few others and they are so easily traded. You could take gold anywhere in the, around the world to any bank. They'll wait and they'll give you currency. It's anywhere. You take a, a dollar or a peso or a Quran, whatever it is. You take any little article of money, currency, it might not trade anywhere. Gold, it will. In those days, frankincense and myrrh were the same thing. Everybody was trading those. They were incredibly valuable. So to this holy family, they don't even know it. It hasn't happened yet. But this epiphany is building. These three guys show up, or these three gifts show up, and they're the things that they're absolutely going to need because in the next day, they're told that they have to run for their lives because Herod's going to come and kill them. You've got to go to Egypt. How is a, a penniless couple who just had a baby? I mean, they don't have money. They barely got a donkey. They don't have a lot of food. They're away from their friends and their family. How are they going to go to Egypt and survive? They're going to do it because these three wise guys showed up with all their gifts. The holy couple was faithful. They didn't have to understand what was going to happen. They just had to trust that God was going to provide for them and they were to do what God asked them to do. And God took care of it. He used the Gentile world bringing gifts, provisioning them for, you know, four to seven years in Egypt, whatever that timeline was. How are they going to live in a faraway place? They lived because they had those three gifts. The epiphanies. Not one epiphany. It's been a series of epiphanies. And we're only, we're only scratching the surface of these epiphanies in this time. We just got a little bit of time here today. And these, hopefully you can see that one epiphany has led to another one, to another one, to another one, to another one. And it keeps going. And the end of the final epiphany for us as a people is Jesus. It was the end of the epiphany for the wise men. They got to see Jesus. For us in this life journey, our greatest epiphany will be Jesus. Because when this body expires, we get to see him. And we get to see our father. And we get to see our family. 
And we're in a beautiful place like no other. And it will be worth all the treasure of this earth. In fact, the stuff of this earth will have no value. We'll just lay it down at his feet. We're going to go just like the wise men. There's so much truth wrapped up in 12 verses of chapter 2. We'll end with this thoughts. For us as a church, it's blessed. We've started off, the end, or we've ended this list last year and started this year off with a tremendous blessing. You know that we had almost 300 people here on Christmas Eve? 180 people fit in this small space and out there on Christmas Eve at the first service. A little over 100 people at the second service. That's huge. God wants his kids home. He wants to use us to bring all the kids home. He wants, he wants us to know Him and be blessed by Him, to do it His way so it's the heaven's way and we can experience heaven now and heaven for all eternity. God wants us to know Him and make Him known. And, and we're doing that. And we have so much more to do. So we started well. 2019 is a great year. This is a blessed year for us. He's, God's an epiphany in all kinds of possibilities before us as a church. I am so looking forward to this. Hopefully you're excited about it too. It's a beautiful time. So as we go into this year, what can we take away from the Epiphany Sunday and all these Epiphany stories? Here's the, I think they're like, I got six things. First one is, on Epiphany Sunday, the whole church, God help us to be open, open to God's Epiphany work. Look for it. Recognize it. If, if something happens, you just didn't even make sense, well, God's working. If, if he's saying something through somebody or, or doing something through somebody and it's just right, it's like, wow, give God thanks. Be open to the possibilities and actually be open to God, what God's dream is going to put in you. The world might pounce on your dreams. You might bring up a good idea and just float it down the thing just to see what happens and you might get pounced on by people. Who cares? If God put it in your head, keep it. Dream it for a while. Be open to it, Right? Don't be afraid of dreaming with God. That brings us to the next one, dream. So first one is open up our minds to God's epiphanies. Two is dream, and dream with courage. Dream big. Dream big, and dream with God. Prayerfully dream. God, what are your dreams? Help me in these dreams. Read the scriptures. What are the possibilities? If God wants us to go out and, and, and buy 20 acres of land that we don't have a penny for, and if, he wants to be, what, if, if that's God's dream, do it. He'll provide three kings. Right? I mean, we're not to say that God's arm's too short. So be open and dream with courage, but with God. If God wants us to have our church out of a tent on a rented lot, then do it. Whether big or small, if it's God's dream, we do it. The next third thing is plan. Plan with wisdom and plan with God. These things don't just happen. I assure you that those three wise men, they planned that trip. They planned for those months. They planned for those things. They studied. They worked. They invested. They made it happen. They planned. They planned with wisdom and they planned with God. Fourth thing is then take actions. And take some actions with some faith. Maybe you don't even know the end of the road, but I'm going to take at least one step forward because that, I'm, I'm telling God I'm going. I don't have to know the end. I'm going to trust. I'm going to have some faith that you've called this, you've inspired this, you've helped us plan this, and we're going to go there. We don't have to know the outcome, but we know that we're going with you and we're going for you. So we're going to act with God and a reliance upon God. The Holy Family, they didn't rely on themselves. They relied on God, and then they did some work too, right? Fifth piece is celebrate some provisions. Celebrate. Where's a church that's celebrating? If we're always wondering about what we didn't have and what we don't have enough of, then we're missing it. Give God thanks for what we got. If it's trouble, then give God thanks for trouble. 
If it's aching bodies, thank you, God, for my aching body. It makes me pray. Put it to work. And if it's a great, big, beautiful thing, whatever it is, just be thankful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be a rejoicing people. And the sixth piece is hope. Hope. Hope in that epiphany. Hope in that God thing that you've been given. Hope in the future epiphanies that are going to come. And ultimately, our hope is the epiphany that's promised our chance to find Christ face to face. That will happen. I'm going to end with this last line, and I'm going to challenge you to keep it, and we're going to keep maybe touching on it in these first months in 2019. Here's the line. Um, If you knew that success was guaranteed, if success was certainty, if God promised success, so if you knew that success was certain, what would you attempt to do? your New Year's resolutions and all those things you're thinking about as you come into a new year, if you knew that what you were going to do, whatever it was, was going to be met with absolute success, big or small, we're not quantifying that, everything, what would you attempt to do? That question goes for us as a church. If we knew as a church that everything that we're striving to do was going to be met with God's success, what would we as a church do? I'll leave you with a question. You answer it. God help us answer that question and dream big dreams. Amen. Let us declare our faith. We will use the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Led by the light of the star, the wise still come at the will of the Lord. Let us kneel before him and offer our prayers for the people of God. As the wise men of old came to adore the infant Savior, we give you thanks for your mercy and rejoice in your promises. Bring the light of your word to all who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Mighty Lord, to you all nations and those who lead them are accountable. Give to all peoples good government and faithful leaders who govern according to your will. Bless all servicemen, servicewomen, and civil servants who protect us near and far. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving God, your Son came to claim all our ills and grant us healing, comfort, and peace. That is enough for all our needs. We give thanks for all celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, and other joyous events in their lives. We give you thanks and praise for the successful surgery for Kurt Calloway and the Calloway family's safe return home. We ask for your continued care and blessings on them and the medical staff as Kurt recovers from surgery. Today, we also remember Jeff, Mary, Lori, Jody, Dwayne, 
Phil, Carol, Bob, Jack, Dallas, Herb and Christina, Linda, and those we name in our hearts. That their suffering be relieved, their sorrows be comforted, and their hearts know the fullness of your peace. Lord, in your mercy. Blessed Savior, we have made your church to be the home of all people. Our reason and purpose as your church is to know you and make you known. As we worship and pray, please call to mind the name and face of someone specific who you may reach through us. Help us to welcome the stranger in your name. Bless our life together around your word and table. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul for me. And may I ever do my part to win that soul for you. Amen. Lord, we especially pray for those people that come to our minds when we paused. Lord, that you would use us according to your holy will, so that they and all people may come to know you. And Lord, we commend into your hands ourselves, and we commend into your hands all for whom we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit is one God, one Lord, now and forever. Amen. Amen.